Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. I love the fact that the your, your English idiom for something problematic is left holding the baby like that's <laughs> that's the phrase that you use for oh man if things have really hit the wall uh that means you're holding a baby and as, you as a parent of multiple children not a bad idiom i, I, I approve of it the problem is you you know effectively so you're going to have a whole conversation around how many people do we need to get together we could do it in six weeks but it's whether you can do your part of this in six weeks. Right now, if I asked you, hey, would you be able to create an entirely new keynote speech? You now are engaging in a trade-off process where you go, I don't have the resources for that. So in order to do that, I would need to not do something else. So Colin, I wanted to reveal to our listeners a little behind the scenes. Uh, you wrote me last week and said something had come up and asked if we could delay our, our usual recording date until uh, this week, today, when we're yep. recording. And that was the best news I had gotten in so long. Because um, <laughs> I, I didn't want to like force us to, to delay. We have busy schedules. It's hard for us to um, connect sometimes. So I like yep. to keep our calendar. But uh, oh man, last week, it, it was oh. It was so bad. Bad news, was it? Yeah. Um, the problem was that over the course of many months, I kept saying yes to things because those deadlines were like way in the future. The future being last week. And it all culminated in, in you is, pulling your hair out. I, I should correct it hasn't all culminated. It's been this like <laughs> cascading series of disasters all summer. And it's not going to end for another like two months. And there was me feeling guilty that I yeah. suggested that we needed to move it. I didn't realize oh. that you were so easily pleased, mate. Oh, I'm I'm very pleased. To be clear, I still want <laughs> you to feel guilty. Um, like you should you should still feel bad. Um, no, it's been it's been a, a terrible summer from the perspective of time management um, for Ryan Hamilton. But the the upside is that shortly after that you you sent me that email and I expressed my my very willing, my very high willingness to, to actually postpone that recording. Uh, it recalled to me that, that we've never actually talked about the planning fallacy um, in yeah. our episodes. So this is a cognitive bias that I fell prey to again this summer, I guess over the past year. And so I figure we can, we can talk about it um, so that I feel less dumb for having done this. Yeah, no, and, and to be honest, mate, as soon as you told me about it and I thought to myself, yeah, bloody hell. Have I, I've suffered from this. And then I thought, yeah, everybody Everybody. listens, suffers from this. So I thought it'd be great episode to explain to people what in the hell is happening. And moreover, I think some of the implications of it. So if ever you're like Ryan and you've got too much to do because you've agreed to do too many things, then listen to this. So what's happening from a human perspective? 
So this is yet another of these cognitive biases that was identified or popularized by uh, Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky. Uh, so right. We've talked about a lot. And a bias, sorry, just for the yeah. uninitiated, a bias basically is like a rule of thumb. It's so that's a, a heuristic is a rule of thumb. Oh, so right. sorry, heuris I apologize. Heuristics often lead to biases, which yes. is a bias is the way that you look at something. Exactly. So a yeah. bias is where you make a decision uh, or events some, yes. some preference or judgment that's yes. kind of yes, I've, I was getting the two wrong. So, yeah, um, but yeah, it. It is a, a bias that is rooted in optimism and uh, affected by the way that we kind of think about the future. So essentially, the planning fallacy is this idea that, well, let me give you an example. Like, suppose that I, I came to you, Colin, and said, hey, I'd, I'd really love it if you could deliver a, a keynote address at a conference that I'm running next Tuesday. There's a very good chance that you would say, I'm busy. Like I don't have time to, yeah. to put together a, a keynote address and practice it and get out there. Like I've got other stuff that's going on in my life. If I were to come to you though and say, Hey, would you deliver a keynote at my, at my conference that I'm running in six months? Yeah. There's a very good chance that you would say like, yeah, that's not a problem at all. You've given enough keynotes. Maybe that's a bad example. Like suppose that this were something that required like a lot of your time and effort to, to plan. Yes, I mean, like there custom. are clearly a number of ver variables that go into that conversation. Uh, but the idea is that when when we have to do something in the very near future, we're well aware of all of the commitments that we've already made and that we would sure. have to squeeze this into and we're, we're kind of appreciating how much time it would take to prepare for that. But when I ask you about something that's like six months out, you're like, oh, I'll, I'll be able to have time for that. And the reality is over and over again, that we, we like don't take the full six months to prep. Instead, we kind of like, we'll do that in the future. And then we, we often end up in a place like I did last week, like I'm continuing to do throughout the rest of the summer uh, and well into the fall, where we are still in a place where we're, we're preparing on kind of a, a compressed time horizon. And we just haven't anticipated all the other things that are going to be occupying our time, all the other demands uh, that we will have. We overestimate the free amount of free time that we will have in the future relative to in the near future right now. Let me ask you a few questions then, because some of this is just about planning, isn't it? So I've always liked the, the model that I first read in the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, the, the um, Stephen Covey. Stephen Covey. Yeah, where he talks about the Fobox model between importance and urgent. So what you're describing is that you've ended up doing things that are important and urgent. But if you'd done it when it was important and not urgent, yeah then you would have been fine. And doesn't that therefore just speak to the fact that you hadn't thought about it enough? Is that sort of a, a trait of the bias? Yeah, so there, there are actually like dozens of explanations for the planning fallacy. Like a, a whole bunch of psychologists have worked on this. So we've got like, everybody agrees that it happens. Like, like you said, like when you find out about this, you're like, oh, Thank goodness I'm not the only one. Like, I'm, oh, I'm so glad other people are this dumb. Yeah, yeah. So this sure. is a very universal phenomenon. 
as to why it happens, there are lots of explanations that have some merit, that have some uh, support for it. I prefer the explanation that leans in the direction that you're heading now, and we'll talk about that in a second. But it's essentially when I ask you whether you're willing to do something, you create a mental simulation of how hard would it be for me to do that? Like how much time would it take me to do that? And then how much time do I think that I have? And when it's close, then the urgency of it is very salient. And you're like, oh, like I would need to carve out time to make this happen. Like this is not going to fit naturally into my day. Where when it's far out in the future, you're like, oh, they'll have time. Like they'll, I'll be able to find time to do that. And so it is very much kind of a, a failure of simulation. Like you, you don't appreciate all the things that you um, will have to do in the coming months that are also going to be eating up at your time and kind of creating their own urgency. Isn't it also about, if I think about these things, I think about there are obviously different types of people, okay? So some people are organized, some people aren't. Some people are disciplined, some people aren't. In my view, that's where it starts to come to, which is going, are you optimistically looking at your discipline and organizational skills? that you don't plan enough for it. So I've got a friend of mine who who will say yes to everything, basically, yeah? He needs organizing. You actually end up having to organize things for him, and he hasn't got the discipline to do it. And I don't know whether it's organizational skills or discipline that actually – so he doesn't have the discipline to input the organizational skills that would actually deliver the event. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, people exist on a spectrum across all kinds of different dimensions, all kinds of different attributes. And and for this too, if you are highly disciplined and highly organized, the planning fallacy will not be as much of a problem for you. Sure. Empirically, when they look at this though, it tends to be a problem for a lot of people. So like some of the early studies on this, for example, they asked students who had to write a senior thesis. It was like a, a very big summer, summative paper. Say so like, how long is it going to take you to do this? Like, what's the worst case scenario? If everything goes wrong, then how long will it take you to do this? The majority of students, it actually took them much longer than their worst case scenario. Now, now there were, even in those studies, there were something like a third or so of people who came in at about their estimated time frame. So th- again, this is not that something that happens to everyone all the time. Sure. And if you have a, a lot of discipline, then it's less of a problem. Let's talk about this from a customer experience perspective for a moment, okay? Because you, you've raised a couple of interesting things there. So, you know, we do this emotional signature research. Okay, which is where we look at what drives value for an organization. We've been doing it since 2005. Okay, so we know how to do it. When a client asks us, how long does it take to do? The answer is about three months. Okay, 50% of the clients that we have will turn around and say, couldn't we do it a bit quicker? And we go, yeah, but the, the three months is not us. The problem is you, you know, <laughs> effectively. You know, uh, it's 
we need to get people together. So you're going to have a whole conversation around how many people do we need to get together? You're going to have a whole conversation around, well, when can we do it? We can do it in six weeks, but it's whether you can do your part of this in six weeks. And I would say out of that 50% that ask us that, 25% still want us to plan that it will be delivered, you know, in six weeks. And then I would say 99% of them never do it in that timescale. Yeah. And I guess that's that whole bit. The reason I'm mentioning all this to you is it's that whole bit around not understanding the detail that fits underneath it to be able to and underestimating the detail that and we know all that detail and we you know we've we've done it many times but they don't and you know we obviously challenge them then and tell them all these things and they you know they start to realize you still get that effect don't you yeah i mean you you raise a really interesting wrinkle on this which is planning fallacy as i've read about it is always been studied at the individual level so i'm planning for myself when you look at it at an organizational level i assume it just gets worse right because i have a hard time in like modeling my own future behavior and i I oversimplify my own future behavior but if i'm now modeling my behavior and your behavior i assume that my model for you is even more simple like as i project out to other people it's like, oh, yeah, we'll be able to get people together and organize. Like, we'll be able to get you this information, no problem. Um, sure. And so I, I assume that it's even worse within organizations. I think the interesting thing for me is you're still talking about an individual. So, you know, if in the, the situation with, with this research, you know, we're still talking to a, an individual, a client, a customer within the clients. It's them then who are then going back and, articulating that within the organization but i think the other part for me is as i looked into this is if you think about it again from a customer experience perspective the danger is is that it happens across the organization let me tell you the a story that that um, may highlight it we got called into a healthcare organization um, and they basically install healthcare systems so sort of back-end systems and all that type of stuff. And the interesting thing was that prior to the installation, they were being seen as very efficient, a very good organization, okay? After the system was installed and they went through the onboarding and everything else, because of the poor planning that was taking place, okay, it massively affected what the that organization saw them as, okay? The other interesting part for us was you then had sort of three different types of customer. You had the decision maker, the person who said, yes, we'll buy that system. You had the project manager who was effectively going, right, well, we'll manage the, the whole project. And you had, and this is within the, the client, you then had the user, and it was exactly like, effectively like a pyramid. So the users w- hated the company, the healthcare systems company, hated them because of the all the problems that they caused and, you know, the, the, the implications and the late hours that they had to work. 
and that got less the further up the organization that you went but it still reached the decision maker because the decision maker was then going well I gather this isn't going very well and you haven't hit these milestones and all of those other things so it made me wonder whether that sort of planning bias becomes endemic within the organization and there's a lack of planning across that piece as well because it affects the customer yeah no absolutely i i mean i think that the scenario you laid out uh where you know that the client is pushing you to you know have some some stricter deadlines some earlier deadlines that you know you want to please your client you want to please your customer I sure. think this leads, this is a, the planning fallacy is at least one cause of over-promising and under-delivering where yeah. we, we don't anticipate, oh, we've got other clients who also have needs and that's going to be competing with our time. Sure. And there's, there's other like complications that could arise. And it's this failure to simulate all of the contingencies that lead yes. to us over-promising, yeah, we, we should be able to make that work yeah. and then end up missing those deadlines for that reason. Ryan, I've got some interesting facts for you around the number of 80,000. I am happy to sit at your feet and learn your wisdom, Colin. What are these facts? Did you know that 80,000 kilometers is the circumference of the Earth? As far as you know, I did know that. <laughs> did you know, Colin, that 80,000 is roughly the population of Livermore, California, home of the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory Science Center? No, I didn't. What's more incredible, Ryan, is 80,000 people is the number of people who have subscribed to the LinkedIn newsletter, Why Customers Buy, that I write every week. Colin, if you were able to get all of your readers together, you could form your own city. I could. And if we put them end to end, they may even go around the circumference of the earth. If they were all one kilometer tall, <laughs> that is true. <laughs> So if you'd like to join the other 80,000 people who enjoy the Why Customers Buy newsletter each week, then simply go to LinkedIn, look up my name, and you'll see the newsletter there. We look forward to seeing you every week. The interesting bit, though, from the, from the healthcare provider that I was just talking about, the healthcare solutions, was they did this time and time again. So it wasn't that, you know, it's not something that was new. This happened repeatedly, which is the reason they ended up calling us in, basically, to, to go help and what could they do? I wonder if this may not fit with the, the scenario they were in, but I wonder if that upfront part was something that, that was more systemized, more regular. So like that that kind of implement that sales part was the same for all clients. So just like when somebody comes to you and says, we want an emotional signature, you've done that enough times that you know how long that that takes. If that part was like pretty regular and they could say, no, that like this process is going to take us four months. But then the implementation stage was like customized. And so it was like different for each client. And that led to more of this bias being able to creep in. So it could take anywhere between six months and a year uh, let's optimistically say it's going to take six months for this client when in reality it never hardly. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think there's so many things that come in here, aren't there? So again, as I was thinking about this prior to um, us talking today, it was making me think about generally sales organizations tend to be more optimistic and over-promise 
than the engineering side of the house. Generally, the engineering side of the house, because they normally get hold, left holding the baby, tend to be more pessimistic, in my view, and they want much more time. Well, can we pause for a second? I, I love the fact that the your your English idiom for something problematic is left holding the baby. Like that's <laughs> that's the phrase that you use for oh man, if things have really hit the wall, uh, that means you're holding a baby. And as, you as a parent of multiple children, not a bad idiom. I, I, I approve of it. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, but so if you you know with the healthcare company, that was part of the problem was the salespeople over-promised, okay? And the engineers then went in and had to clear up the, not the mess. I mean, that that's an exaggeration um, because there were a number of other, other challenges uh, within there. But the interesting thing was the organization kept repeating the problem. And it goes back to the conversation that we had, and um, we'll put a link in the show notes of your, your colleague, I forget her name now, uh, had a book about, we interviewed her on a new book about saying no. Uh, Vanessa. And yes. That's it. Uh, thank you. We'll put a link in the show notes. But that whole issue of being able to say no is so important, isn't it? Yeah. So I mentioned there were a whole bunch of explanations that have been uh, proposed. One of them is impression management. The idea that we may overpromise because we want to look good up front, thinking we can make up for it later. So a little bit like leaving late somewhere and then planning on speeding on the on the roads in order to make up for it later. So you, you might try to manage your impressions. And it's it's usually not a great idea um, because we, we don't appreciate how much time it's going to take, like how, how little resource we'll have later. In terms of other explanations that have been proposed. There's there's this wishful thinking uh, idea. There's something called focalism, which is the idea that we tend to focus just on certain points of information and, and neglect others. There's a, a self-serving bias where we, we tend to think of ourselves as more competent or capable than maybe we actually are. So all of those have evidence for them. And I think that there's reasons for them. My, my favorite explanation is uh, something called a resource slack. And this is an idea that we all have resources available to us, cognitive resources, time resources, financial resources. And so when we have to do something, like when we're agreeing to, to do some job, some work, we need to, to do this, this mental calculation, like, do I have the resources available to buy this thing or to do this job? And when, when we're on a short time horizon, then we have a pretty good sense of how our resources are laid out. You know what you're obligated to do over the next week for example, or you know how much, how much money you have in your bank account right now. But the farther we get out, then the worse we are at projecting how much resources, how many resources we'll have available to us at that point in the future, and the more optimistic we get about sure. how many of those resources. That sure. we'll and so that, that creates this idea that, oh, well, I'll have plenty of time uh, to do that. And so what ends up happening because of that resource, like, like right now, if I asked you, hey, would you be able to create an entirely new keynote speech from scratch for next week? You now are engaging in a trade-off process where you go, I don't have the resources for that. So in order to do that, I would need to not do something else. In the future, we don't do that. We just say, is it worth doing that thing or not? Not what would I need to give up in order to be able to do that? 
That's interesting, isn't it? Because it's a balance between the two. And you could argue that you should, just thinking about that, that keynote, you shouldn't think about what do I have to give up? Because if it's worth it, then it's the balance. It is that trade-off between the two, isn't it? Because if it's worth it, then it's worth it. If it's not, then it's not. But when it's far enough out, we don't even recognize that there might have to be a trade-off. Um, we instead think that, oh, we'll be able to do everything. You know, I've talked to a colleague about this who's found herself in, in the same planning fallacy situation that I did. And I, and I think for her, a lot of times she engages in this. Um, and again, I'm not trying to pick on her. I think we all do this. But, you know, an opportunity comes up and it's, it's like, oh, is this a good opportunity? Like, yes or no? Should I do this? Yes or no? Is this worthy? As opposed to within all of the portfolio of everything I've committed to do, is this additional cost something that I can and bear? Because if you look at everything individually, then there's lots of stuff that's worthy of our time. Sure. But when you look at it collectively, you realize you need to make sure. some trade-offs. Sure. I think the other thing that's interesting, and, and again, I'm thinking about this from a customer experience perspective, is this organization seem to lack the planning across silos. Yeah. So I used to work in telecoms, as you're aware, and I remember when broadband was first launched. Okay. It was appalling because it had never been done before at scale and bits came in from all over the place and i think the the issue becomes that when you're in a silo and you're trying to provide a customer experience across the piece you're in this silo and you're going well i can do my bit and yeah it's going to be that surely these other parts of the organization can do it faster or why do they need so much time to do that? So I don't know, let's assume that you've got three month window and you can say, yes, you, by the sign, time you sign on the dotted line, Mr. Customer, it's a three month implementation. I know my bit is going to take a month, but why is it that sacrosanct? We can't move that, but everybody else can move their stuff and do it shorter because I don't understand why engineering are taking three weeks to do that. That's That's very simple. And I guess, again, that must be, part of the issue of just not understanding the detail and how they work and all the rest of it. Yeah. Uh, so like, I think that this resource Slack perspective helps us understand something like that. So I have a good sense of, of my resources over the next three months, but as I'm projecting onto you, like I, I only have a vague idea of, of what you've committed to do over the next three months and what you're managing and so I might say, well, like your part only takes two weeks. Like sure. if I've got a month that I can get this done and clearly you can do that, not knowing that, you know, your division has overcommitted already for the next six months. And so adding in an additional thing. So, yeah, I, th I think that this idea that, um, you know, there, we need to coordinate resources, not just within any silo, but coordinate resources across the silos starts to make this a little bit more concrete and really help to kind of help with our planning for this as opposed to just this abstract, like, yeah, three months, like two weeks here and a, and a week there. Which is why at the end of the day, you have project managers. I have to say when we go into a client and they, you know, they go, yeah, we've got a project manager or they've done lean or whatever it may be, you go, great, because now I know it's going to be done properly. They're taking the bigger picture and pulling all those things together. So what you're suggesting, Colin, is that I hire a project manager for my life. 
And the other the other takeaway I'm taking from this, mate, is that I just need to book in loads of recording time for you for six months' time, because then when it comes to then, then you'll just have to do it, and that's it. That's right. I'm I'm too stupid to realize I may have other things going on in six months. That are, so yeah, let's, let's do it. Six months. Yeah. You said it, not me, mate. I mean, you and I wrote a book together, Colin, and we both <laughs> suffered from the planning fallacy in the course of writing that book. I remember sitting down and going, oh, this should take this amount of time. And, yeah, and we, both of us going, can, yep, yep, it should all. Yeah. We can not. That was my first book, but that was like your seventh <laughs> book or something. So you should have known better. Don't tell people that. I was I was coming out of this quite good. Everyone was thinking that I'm wonderful at planning, and now you've revealed all my dark and dirty secrets. I know. Why would I possibly have wanted to do that? I don't know. <laughs> Let me go back to what I think is brilliant, is this Stephen Covey thing, which is important and urgent. Plot your, plot your tasks based around the importance of the task and the urgency of the task. What we tend to do is spend 80% of our time doing things that are important and urgent, whereas if we'd done, if we'd done a number of those when they were not, not urgent, that would save us a hell of a load of time. We spend far too much time in that, that quadrant, basically. Yeah, well, and, and the really dangerous quadrant is the urgent but not important. Um, and I, yes. I spent a lot of time there too. I agree. And and one of the things I learned from that, I think that was in the book again, was important to who? Yes. So is it important? It may be important to the person asking you to do it, but is it important to you as an individual? And if it's not, then why are you doing it? And I think just based upon that, I think going back to it sometimes when something's when you know there are somebody's asking us to do something that's six months out we tend to give in a bit don't you you tend to lax on that well okay i'll do you a favor but you don't realize that the favor is is going to take you forever to do basically uh yeah it's a, it's a great one the insight that i would leave people with is this this idea that we are sometimes different people in the future than we are now. We think of ourselves that way too. Like, oh, future me will be able to handle this. Like, no, no problem. And so to, to try to take the perspective of now me when I'm uh, thinking about things in the future, recognizing that our natural tendency is to be optimistic about the future and, and our ability to do things. And so whatever your natural inclination is, maybe dial that back a little bit. Maybe, maybe think about that a little. Good advice. We, um, Hope that's been of use, and we hope you don't suffer from it anymore. I'm sure you will, but um, we hope it's been of use, and we look forward to chatting to you next week. Cheers. Thanks very much for listening to the show today. We really hope you've enjoyed it, and if you have, it would be really great if you could leave us a review. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton, but it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.